Over the last months, Europe's eyes and ears were glued to the war in Ukraine. Understandably so, but unfortunately we have to remember that other world regions require our action and attention just as much. Afghanistan's displacement crisis is one of the largest and most protracted in UNHCR's seven-decade history, says UN High Commissioner for Refugees, Filippo Grandi. We need more than just humanitarian aid, says my guest Samim Ahmadi, ICMPD's Afghanistan expert. My name is Elisabeth Minkov, ICMPD communications officer, and today we ask, what about Afghanistan? Dear Samim, a very warm welcome and thank you for joining despite your very busy schedule. Thank you very much, Elizabeth, for having me. It's a pleasure. Up until summer 2021, you have worked as ICMPD's country coordinator and head of office for Afghanistan and you worked in Kabul most of the time. Can you tell us in brief what your task was back then for ICMPD and what happened when uh, Taliban took over? Well, as a country coordinator and head of office for ICMPD, my responsibility was to make sure that all the projects ICMPD was implementing in the country was running smoothly. And also I was responsible for coordinating with European Union member states and other governmental stakeholders. And what about the migrant resources centers? Was this something that you were working on particularly? Yes. So as a uh, Part of different activities uh, and initiatives that ICMPD was running in the country, the Migrant Resource Centers was one of them, in addition to drafting and development of comprehensive migration policy for the Afghanistan mm -hmm. and works on labor management. The activities in the region have taken place a few years and now summer 2021 comes and you can watch basically from near that apparently the Taliban are taking the country. How did you react? What happened? August 15 marked a very um, significant uh, event in the Afghan history. Um, not only in Kabul, but across the country. There was a lot of unknown to what would happen following that and how Taliban who took over Kabul would react to general public, people who worked for government, people who worked for former Afghan National Security and Defense Forces and people who worked for international organizations and NGOs. Mm -hmm. uh, therefore, around all these unknowns, most of the international community's staff, Afghan staff, were evacuated. And we were one of the organizations who evacuated our uh, colleagues out of Kabul. Um, not only our staff, but also if you look into uh, what happened to the civil servants who had worked previously with um, uh, the Afghan government, but also liaised with the international community uh, who saw their lives at risk, uh, they were also being evacuated slowly and gradually uh, by their relevant stakeholders uh, and organizations they collaborated with. Mm -hmm. And now you're living and working in Vienna. You continue to work for ICMPD. And uh, your job is now very closely related to the, let's say, evacuation of, of more people from the region. So what is it that you're currently working on? 
Um, a portion of my job still remains with Afghanistan. We run the remotely a, a virtual migrant resource center that provides information on humanitarian admissions and resettlement programs uh, to the Afghan public um, and also talks about the channels, other possible regular channels of migration, however limited for Afghans they might be, and provide information on the dangerous consequences of irregular migration. And there is a massive demand for information on migration issues uh, by Afghans. Let's look at Afghanistan very specifically now. So how has the life of the people changed and what is actually going on on the ground, really, because you have the insight? This is a very complex topic at the moment. Initially, as the um, August 15th event unfolded, there were very um, unanswered questions around how it would affect the general public's life. At the moment, uh, there are several layers of challenges that Afghan people are facing. Uh, to start with is the right of Afghan women. Today marks the, the 300 days of, of Afghan girls not being able to go to school. And as well as Afghan women uh, not having access to jobs and um, other employment opportunities. Mm. Uh, therefore, they cannot contribute to the economic uh, growth of uh, mm. a country and the country's development. Second, the violation of human rights that are being recorded, that are ongoing in the country, are very concerning to the international community and to the Afghan public uh, themselves. Um, Afghanistan was a dependent country for the past two decades, uh, and from 80 to 86 percent of the budget of the country dependent on foreign aid. The aid was stopped over a night for many sectors by mm -hmm. different donors, and that had huge impact on people's lives, although the humanitarian assistance has resumed. But as a result, uh, now people are facing a very severe situation of food insecurity, lack of access to health services, and as a result of um, the sanctions uh, which are imposed by OFAC on the Taliban and, and, and some certain entities in their de facto government, now the banking system in the country is at the edge of collapse. Therefore, We also have noticed a devaluation of the Afghani currency mm. and also an inflation in the country. So you have the inflation on top of all the problems that we have with worldwide inflation at the moment, plus the banking system uh, collapsing. Indeed, indeed. Um, so humanitarian aid agencies and NGOs at the moment also have difficulties to... Uh, transfer aid money to Afghanistan. Uh, this is another uh, challenge. And also Afghans who had money in the banks do not have access fully to, the, mm -hmm. to their accounts, meaning that there is a limit that is imposed by the banks on their customers to withdraw money. At the same time, there is inflation. People's purchase power uh, have drastically reduced And um, you can see poverty across the country. According to the UNDP's report, uh, 23 million Afghans are in dire need of humanitarian aid. That makes uh, also another estimate of 97% of the country's population mm -hmm. uh, living just below poverty line. Mm 
which is a very um, interesting and, and drastic number. And I don't think it's necessarily something that's on the agenda of the vast majority of newsreaders at the moment. But um, what does it mean, a banking system collapsing? What about um, travel, administration, these things? How does that work under the uh, Taliban rule? Taliban have been uh, a military force. They have taken over Kabul and major other major provinces and now all across the country by force. They have, do not have experience in governance, in the art and management of, of governance. Mm -hmm. That being said, there is problem, as I mentioned, in education uh, system. Uh, there is problem in running the healthcare services There is problem in providing other sort of services that an urban and remote rural area would need. Right. In terms of travel, of course, uh, Afghanistan is printing or was printing under the former republic its uh, passports uh, in Lithuania outside mm -hmm. the country. And the Afghan population, not all of them had access to ID uh, identification. Mm -hmm. uh, be passport or taskira, which is the national Afghan national ID card. But due to the recent events, there was a demand even prior to the fall of Kabul. There was demand for passport department, and there was because of the rush, um, the, the passport booklets run out. So you have now a high demand of uh, passport by the Afghan public, and also less number of passport bo booklets in the passport office. The other issue is about women being able to travel. Okay. Mm -hmm. Also, the women's movement, now they need a chaperone or someone to accompany them to even travel within cities. Mm. And there are many Afghan women students who have scholarships but are not able to travel outside the country. It is because of them being a single a woman alone and the requirement for traveling outside is to have a male accompanying wow. or a chaperone yes that's that's honestly shocking you said in the beginning that humanitarian aid is not enough so what would be possible ways out of the current situation humanitarian aid is a very essential and crucial uh, for any place that is that has the situation like afghanistan um, yemen or syria or anywhere else across the, uh, the globe. But it's not the most sustainable form of assistance. We need also need to consider the other spheres of migration and management and providing services. Um, the international community cannot replace the function of uh, a government in Afghanistan. Therefore, um, there needs to be also initiatives to address the root causes of uh, the migration Mm -hmm. in Afghanistan. Uh, that could be uh, livelihood opportunities for the Afghan public. Uh, that could be uh, socioeconomic engagement. Uh, that would also mean um, addressing the labor migration force from Afghanistan to tap into the um, region. But of course, all these uh, activities would require a functioning government to partner with the international Uh, community. Mm -hmm. For the past 20 years, our definition of supporting the Afghan people mostly has focused on the uh, humanitarian aid, and we have seen the results. 
But uh, the challenge would be then how to cooperate with uh, the Taliban, right? The engagement with Taliban is a tricky topic here. Uh, the international community's demand from Taliban uh, have been to respect the right, human rights, rights of women and minorities, and form an inclusive government. The demand from the Taliban side are to unfreeze the $7 billion that is as a backing of the Afghan banking system uh, in the States, political recognition, uh, and also removal of some of their leaders' uh, names from uh, the international community and UN's blacklist. So there is this dialogue between the two sides. At the same time, violation of human rights is a very crucial topic that is ongoing in the country. We have reports of 500 former Afghan National and Security Defense Forces uh, missing, which is very um, concerning. There are extrajudicial killings that are taking place um, across mm -hmm. the country. Journalists and human rights activists and women are being harassed and abused, uh, and also there are cases of disappearance. Mm -hmm. So this makes it very um, difficult to um, start a sort of you know dialogue and engagement in a very constructive way with the movement. At the same time, there are also demands, the demands of recognition and politicizing the humanitarian situation uh, by the de facto government in Afghanistan is another uh, tricky situation. Mm-hmm. But um, this brings me now to the questions um, regarding migration. Um, given the situation in the country, it's very clear that migration must be uh, seen as an opportunity for, or last resort, not uh, so much an opportunity for many people. Um, what's, what do people think and feel about migration in general? Where do they go? And um, are there any legal pathways for them to do so? Well, Afghanistan has the lowest ranking passport in the world. That makes it very uh, difficult for Afghans to obtain visa anywhere, uh, to any country. That itself is a factor a push factor for irregular migration when people are in need, both in terms of seeking refuge and safety, and as well as uh, finding uh, or you know, in struggle to find uh, a better life for, for, for themselves and, and their um, uh, children. Also, since 1979 and up to today, Afghanistan's migration uh, movements and mobility have seen different phases. Uh, mostly mm -hmm. the push factors have been insecurity, be it, you know, the civil war, uh, change of the governments where historically Afghanistan had never had a peaceful transition of governments from one administration to another. It has always been either with coup d'etat or some sort of revolution or uh, one force taking over the other. So... And, and there was just only one exception that transfer of power from Hamid Karzai uh, mm -hmm. to uh, former President Ashraf Ghani. Then Afghans have used migration as their last and first uh, option for you know survival. This is because of uh, it's an act of desperation. Also, the legal pathways for Afghans have been quite limited, limited to certain. Uh, number of uh, uh, population in terms of labor migration to Gulf states, mm -hmm. but also for some eligible Afghans uh, who uh, were going outside the country for scholarships. Uh, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, the rest of the rest, because Afghanistan, if you look at the uh, map of the country, where on the north you have the Central Asian uh, countries, uh, and there is a very natural uh, border, which is Oxus River, Amur River, and there is a very strict uh, control of human mobility and goods mm-hmm. in the northern state. But in the west, you have Iran, which is a very porous border, and it's very difficult to control that territory, both by Iranians and the Afghan side. Mm -hmm. And in the south and southeast, you have Pakistan, where, again, it's a very um, mountainous uh, Mm -hmm. geography. Human mobility can take place from any point, and also it's very difficult to control. A majority of the Afghan population since 70s have moved to Pakistan and Iran. Mm -hmm. So a larger number of Afghans for the past four decades have been living uh, in in these two uh, countries. And these two uh, countries have have historically shared and welcomed the Afghan refugees Mm -hmm. with the limited resources and um, the economic situation. Uh, Let's not forget that Iran is under some certain sanctions uh, and Pakistan itself has its own economic challenges. Right, right. For the irregular migration of Afghans who move to Iran or to Pakistan and then plan to go uh, to uh, Europe, to, to migrate to Europe irregularly, they take these two paths, two countries, which will eventually lead to uh, Turkey. And Turkey uh, is hosting, uh, after the Pakistan and Iran, the highest number of uh, irregular Afghan refugees. Who knew? Uh, well, indeed. But because of the, uh, the geography of Turkey, which um, lays as the gateway to Europe, since 2014, the Afghan movement to Turkey uh, irregularly has increased exponentially. But the Turkish authorities uh, are building a wall uh, between in, in the in the border between Turkey and Iran, in, in the city of Van, wow. in order to yes, in order to uh, be able to prevent the movement of irregular migration and as well as trafficking drugs. So, uh, as you mentioned, clearly there is um, there are hardly any um, legal pathways for Afghan people. If we look at the other side, and also we are a European-based organization, so the echo we get from certain political spheres and also from the population, from the media, is that sometimes there are issues that are now um, connected to the last wave um, of uh, migrants, especially young men from Afghanistan. So um, also with you now knowing both sides very well, are you connected to the diaspora? How can the diaspora that is already here support newly arrived, especially young people um, that are probably very lost in the beginning and um um, what additional integration measures would be required to make sure that people who arrive are really um, hosted in the best possible way for all sides? Well, this is a very important uh, question uh, from the European side. Um, politicization of migration is nothing new, uh, be it in the contemporary political history uh, in Europe or anywhere else uh, in the States uh, or, or in Asia, in Africa, anywhere else. 
Um, and we have seen different examples uh, of it, at least in the past uh, one decade. In terms of diaspora engagement and integration of Afghans who are making and what profiles are making now to Europe, the default profile of, of an Afghan uh, refugee or migrant in Europe was single male who is of certain age. But the recent displacement, that it, it has changed that dynamic. So okay. now you have Afghans of different profiles who are from judiciary, who are journalists that I know of, uh, who are who are civil servants, who had worked with the international community, have also come with their families and they are both of male and female. In terms of integration and what diaspora can do, I have uh, seen the diaspora associations uh, in the Netherlands, for example, or here in Austria or in Germany on how they try to help uh, the newly arrived families and individuals in terms of uh, language uh, translation services, in terms of guiding them on different steps and processes of administration on how or how to um, receive help. But I would also feel like these um, diaspora associations need some sort of capacity building on understanding of the nature of Afghanistan's mobility and migration, mm -hmm. given the current um, situation. In terms of pull factors to Europe, pull factors in Europe will always remain. If you look at the situation in Libya, if you look at the situation in Yemen, if you look at the situation in Syria, in Afghanistan, and anywhere else where you have the conflict, or in Ukraine as well, where, um, you know, people, civilians who are in desperate need of finding refuge and or food on the table or safety for their children, education for their kids, uh, will try to move one way or, or another. And in terms of, um, I mean, we cannot also kick everyone out and we cannot accept everyone in if you look at it from European perspective. So there needs to be some sort of well-balanced uh, mechanism on providing safety, security, and services for those who are in need. Somewhere um, uh, 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 pragmatic, moderate mechanisms. Well, yeah, that sounds uh, very reasonable. And to be honest, let's hope that this is um, something that will be heard as well by hosting communities. However, there are some resettlement agreements now in place or are being developed at the moment. Can you tell us a little bit about that? So yes, after uh, the collapse of former uh, Afghan Republic, different countries working in Afghanistan and implementing projects, being the US, uh, the EU member states, Australia, Canada, and others, came up with some schemes uh, for the humanitarian admission and resettlement programs for those individuals who's, who had worked uh, implementing each specific country's projects, who had worked with the military as translators and as advisors, mm -hmm. uh, and who were also uh, individuals from the Afghan uh, government who had worked with them. And this li these lists also included journalists, Uh, human rights and women rights activists, artists, etc. So if you remember the situation at the airport, at the chaotic pictures that we received uh, from the, uh, the Kabul International Airport, a lot of 
profiles of different uh, individuals and public and everyone rushed uh, to the airport mm-hmm. fearing what might happen uh, to them. This was uh, a pure chaos uh, in the first initial mm-hmm. uh, days. But then each one of these countries uh, tried to work on different lists of the individuals who are at risk or individuals who had worked with them. But until now, for the European member states, this has been uh, somehow structured. Under the um, European Union Agency for Asylum, or EUAA, we're currently conducting a mapping of uh, different participating countries at the EUAA's expert platform to see Mm -hmm. which country has what kind of quota for which risk profiles in Afghanistan Mm -hmm. and how long this will um, continue. Here, in addition to the European uh, Union member states, we also have the US, Canada, Australia, um, and others uh, participating. But again, it's not a very easy process. It is challenging for Afghans, especially if, for the case of US, if you are a special uh, immigration visa uh, or SIV applicant, they process is very uh, time-consuming. They also have other schemes such as P1 and P2 form, uh, very popular uh, in the region in Afghanistan, uh, where Afghans who are eligible to be evacuated need to go to Pakistan in order to, uh, in order to be, uh, be evacuated. And this can take from uh, months to probably years, which makes it very difficult for them to stay in. I feel it's very important that the international community should work with uh, the regional governments, and particularly with uh, Pakistan, and if possible, also with Iran, because they are the ones who are facing the first wave of this this, this challenge, and they are very much overwhelmed, and they need support of the international community and resources to be able to manage this massive migration uh, movement. How many individuals do you think we're talking about here? We don't know. But there are certain numbers uh, between 120,000 to 150,000 that would be evacuated by mm-hmm. um, uh, the US. And there are also num- uh, numbers and tens of thousands probably by Germany and other countries. But again, this is a very scratch on the surface. You cannot drain the entire country out of uh, its population. You cannot take everyone out and you should not be taking everyone out. And everyone does not is not eligible to be to be taken out. This is why I come back to my initial uh, comment that we need to address the root causes of this migration movements. That being um, the socio-economic engagement, that being you know providing um, services, and that being or creating a platform where international community could work with the current de facto government for the sake of vulnerable Afghan people. Wow. Yeah, I think this is sums it up pretty well. We could go on for hours for sure, but I would like to close with this because I think you've you've really gave a very good overview of all the issues that are currently there. There's plenty, there's lots of work to be done. Thank you very much. I do think we will probably host another podcast on this specifically topic and we can go in uh, in depth. Would be great to have you here again. 
Thanks a lot. And um, see you next time. Thanks. Stay up to date on ICMPD's activities and visit our website icmpd.org, sign up for our newsletter and follow us on social media.